all the best lessons I learned was in that footballing arena. It served me in every single career since because it's the same skills you need. You need that resilience. You need a bit of a thick skin. You need to be able to bounce back. You need discipline. You need teamwork. Like these are all going to be rejection. Yeah, exactly. Disappointment, the, the ability to bounce back. They're all the things that employers are looking for because they are those core skills, I think, of achieving anything in either the business world, entrepreneurial world, or in life in general. That was Andy Ramage, a former professional footballer turned entrepreneur, mentor, and advocate for an alcohol-free lifestyle. Welcome to another episode of Chapters. I'm Craig Walsh, and today we have Andy Ramage as a guest on the podcast. I myself have benefited from Andy's alcohol-free lifestyle, so I was really eager to speak with Andy about the One Year No Beer movement, and as well as his new dry app that he's brought out. We speak a lot about athlete transition, cover a range of themes from his journey as a footballer, and the challenges that athletes face when transitioning to life after sport. So thanks for Andy being on the podcast. Um, he spoke so well about athlete transition and how he sees it as a, an exciting part of someone's career. They're just getting started, as he says. So here we go. Did you find there was a pressure of drinking in football whilst you were playing football? I guess there was and there wasn't. You know, I'm back going back to when I was... 17, 18 and, and first, you know, an apprenticeship or apprentice footballer. And we would all drink at weekends. That's what we did, right? After the games, we'd all go out and socialise. And you know what? At that stage of my life, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed every minute of it. I'm not going to say that I didn't. Mm. Um, I think there was more pressure on some of the other lads, probably put by people like myself that that maybe seemed to be leading the charge, let's say that much. But no, there wasn't any pressure outside of the usual Saturday night, let's go out with played hard let's celebrate together there certainly wasn't any pressure during the week uh, to drink and in fact our lives were really very much about football and trying to be the best that we could be and I think we inherently realized that alcohol getting too you know drunk or whatever on a Saturday or, or a Sunday would affect how we performed on a Monday and where I contrast that with the professional footballers I work with now and I work with many professional footballers everything's monitored their heart rates are monitored in everything they do. Mm -hmm. So you can't, you just can't even do it anymore. I mean, even if you wanted to, you couldn't get away with it. Can't get away with it. The sports scientists will pick up in five minutes that your heart rate's elevated. They would know you're either sick or you're hungover. Simple as that, right? So that you're going to get found out in seconds. So the world has changed so much of sport, but back then there was mild pressure to fit in with the group, I guess, but I didn't find it uh, excessive. It was my experience. Hmm. And just tell us a little bit about your uh, footballing career. Obviously, it was cut short earlier than you wanted wanted it to be. Yeah, so I signed with Leighton Orient when I was 10. I then went there as an apprentice. So I left school early at 16 and I loved school. It was for me, it was A-levels and university and rugby. So my school was a rugby playing school. So mm. we did Campion and Wingle Tie Lane. So I never kicked, well, I kicked the ball once for the school and then promptly got sent off but we didn't really have a football team we just had a rugby team so all the footballers ended up being the rugby players uh, and I loved it I loved rugby as a sport and had I you know stayed with it I think I could have achieved a, a, you know a decent level of rugby let's say degrees that was that was one path or it was cut that short and go and follow the dream to become a footballer at 16 which I did and I arrived in that man's world which it was right everyone's in competition at that stage whether you're 16 or you're in the first team and you're 25 and realised really, really quickly I was miles behind. I was miles behind technically. I sort of had the heart of a lion. And rugby had definitely toughened me up, right? Rugby's a lot tougher sport than, than football. So I found that side of it, the physical side of it, 
easy. I was I was ahead on that side, the ability to run, the ability to, you know, be in that sort of physical part of the game. And that was very much my game. But technically, I was miles behind. Like my dad described it brilliantly. He was like, you've got the heart of a lion, but the control and technique of Bambi on ice. <laughs> and it's true. Uh, it's not, his other best line was, you couldn't trap a bag of cement. And, and it was, there was truth in that as well. So I, I had to really think a bit differently. I had to act differently. I started to read books. I, I wouldn't say many young professional footballers at that stage were reading books, biographies, anything I could get my hand on. I had to figure this thing out. I started to train differently. I started to train when everyone else went home. I'd come back and go to my local park. I, you know, I was a technically a professional footballer going over the local park with my brother, getting him to go and goal so I could practice. Um, and then sort of against the odds, I did actually, you know, uh, make my way into first team, played first team football, scored in the football league, which was my total dream, boyhood dream, one goal. Uh, just when it was getting exciting about sort of 19, really, I, I got an injury that pre- it was a nothing injury, but more or less finished my career at that stage. What kind of uh, injury was it? It was just a, a, basically a torn cartilage, but, but naively, I didn't really tell anyone I just kept playing. And I think this is, again, indicative of many athletes, right? You're just making progress. You don't want anyone to know. I don't want to get dropped. It was, it was, it was really naive on my part. And I played with that injury for a whole season, basically. So by the time I finally got it operated on, um, I'd then torn all the cartilage and then damaged all the bones. So I basically ended my own career, really. I mean, I limped along. I went out to Ireland. Loved it out there. I had the time of my life when I played football out in Ireland. Um, but my, my sort of proper professional career was over. I couldn't, I couldn't train like I used to be able to train. I couldn't run. And that was my game. Um, so I knew my, 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 my playing days were, were limited. But that was then I stepped into a new arena, living out in Ireland uh, with, you know, new social friends. And, you know, I f- fell in love with, with Ireland. And, you know, the drinking, let's say, was definitely a big part of my life over there than it was in the UK, absolutely. And that goes into, I suppose, your new, uh, your career after football is when you changed industry. Yeah, exactly. So basically around 23, I think my, my playing days were over. That was it, finished, even though I'd, I'd say I'd limped around the Irish league for a little while, um, which was a beautiful experience, but football-wise, no, it was finished. Um, and then I went into IT because I didn't know what else to do. Luckily, when I was at Coleraine, I fell into um, the job centre one day and just said, look, this is part-time football. I'm used to playing professional football. Like, what do I do in my days? Is there anything I can do? And they spoke about the University of Ulster, which was in Coleraine. I said, well, yeah, like what courses have they got? And luckily there was this HND in informatics. I remember it. And she went, but the course starts tomorrow, so you'll never get on the course. But look, let me just try anyway. I sort of half know the guy that runs it, a guy called Martin McKinney. She phones him up. She holds the yeah, phone. Of course you do. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> she she holds the phone and looks at me and says, oh, he said you played really well last night. Uh, I was like, <laughs> yeah, she went, and he says, go down, go down and see him and he'll sort you out. So he's, a br- he's brilliant. A lovely, lovely man. Got me on this course. So I did this HND in informatics, which I loved for two years whilst playing football. That led me to Dublin, into the world of IT. It wasn't for me. I'll tell you that much. But it was a start into something, but I was lost, you know, classic football loss. What do you do when mm. you've had your meaning and purpose mapped out for it, for you from the age of 10? And there was no advice. There was, it was nothing, right? It's just this void. It's gone. Um, the PFA though, I will interject that because now I'm back with the PFA 
um, training many of their top athletes as part of their business school. The PFA were brilliant to me around that time because I got in touch with them. I'd run up a little credit card bill, nothing uh, substantial, but I thought I was going to get another contract. It didn't materialize. I wrote to the PFA. Someone recommended it. I think it was my PFA rep and the PFA, Professional Football Association. They wiped that credit card clear for me. No questions asked. And it wasn't a lot of money, but it was, it was a lot for me at the time. It made a huge difference to me. And I've never got it. And I've always vowed to give back. And now it's pretty cool that I get to tell that story now through the business school when I'm training some of the best athletes in the world at the moment, which is which is pretty cool. Yeah. So I go on this IT journey. That's not for me. I meet my now wife over in Ireland. We decide to go traveling, traveled the world for a few years, all over Australia, lived in Australia for a while, came back to the UK when I was 28. And I think that reason, that is an important number as well. Again, when I talk to the athletes, I often mention this. The average age of a professional football career is 27. So I didn't arrive back in London until I was 28. And I was still a bit lost and we were just wandering and I had the shirt on my back. That was it. So my professional career in terms of the city career didn't begin until 28, which is over the average age of most footballers. And that was the message I was trying to get across. You're just warming up. Yeah. Yeah. 28 so young a lot of these guys think that's it and girls now oh that's it my life's over i'm never gonna earn that money again you know and it's that sort of doom and gloom depression bankruptcy divorce we see it so ubiquitous within sport Mm. uh, a a massive accelerated rates over the general population which is something i'm passionate about trying to to combat and then i started into the world of broken only by fluke again because my brother happened to have become one of the biggest traders in the crude oil market at that stage for a company called bp he got me a job basically on the floor, which is the guys in the bright jacket. And so began this new career in the world of, of broken, which, and I loved it. It was electric. It was fast paced. There was even the odd sending off <laughs> in the truth of it. You know, it, it reminded me of football in many ways. And it was a lot of lads that you had to be tough, you know, it's a tough environment. And for me, and for me as a, a ginger footballer who wasn't very good Let's just say I'd had my fair share of abuse from home and away fans. You know how to handle it. So I'd quite thick skin. Yeah, exactly. Going into that environment. And again, I say this to our athletes all the time. The skills that I learn as a professional footballer are the same skills that have served me my entire life. All the best lessons I learned was in that footballing arena. It served me in every single career since because it's the same skills you need. You need that resilience. You need a bit of a thick skin you need to be able to bounce back it's going to be rejection yeah. you need teamwork like these are all the things exactly disappointment the, the ability to bounce back they're all the things that employers are looking for mm. because they are those core skills i think of achieving anything in the either the business world entrepreneurial world or in life in general and um, so I, I i excelled in that environment really quickly fast forward 10 years i'd grown a big broken franchise had offices in singapore houston new york London and I'd sort of made it I guess by that technical yardstick of yeah. income that, that we we would often measure ourselves by but I had one of those I guess epiphany moments of mid to late 30s thinking is this it is this it mm. I've got the car got the house got all the stuff that I thought I needed but I actually wasn't happy yeah I was free stone 42 pounds heavier than I am now I hadn't exercised properly in probably the best part of 15 years, drinking too much, stressed out all the time, maxed out all the time, no time for my loved ones. 
life just felt a bit dull, a bit grey, in truth. Yet, the conventional wisdom would have told me I should have been blissfully happy at that stage, only I wasn't. So it was a bit of a wake-up call in many ways for me to sort of take stock and really reflect and review where my life was heading. And in that evaluation, I looked around at those other brokers more successful than me, and I just saw more of the same. Broken bodies, broken minds, you know, estranged families, all the things I didn't aspire to. So I, I quit. I quit that job you know, with the view to maybe, you know, run off and find myself. But then I thought, no, I'm going to double back and stay in that industry, but I'm going to come back and do it in my own way, you know, in, in a healthy way that's good for me and good for the people that come and work with me. And that's exactly what I did. Exactly what I did. And that's kickstarted this whole new adventure then. But what I do find interesting is that you, when you became a broker and then, is, is it Seneca, the name of your, um, is it almost like a brokerage consulting company? Yeah, I sort of do a lot on the various businesses and umbrellas, but uh, some of it is, is consulting at brokers at a high level. Then mm. I go out and work for the likes of the PFA and, and lecture there, which I love. I train coaches. The big thing really what I do is train executive coaches because that's what changed my life. I didn't put that bit into the story, but... Um, 12 years ago, I trained with a guy called John Grinder, who's the co-founder of NLP, because around that epiphany moment where I sort of stopped the story, as, as it were, I, I trained as an executive coach, really to understand how my own brain worked, really to think about what I wanted to do with my life and how I was going to do broken very differently. And that kickstarted this whole new world of of coaching. I coached all of our staff. I then coached people outside of that arena, which naturally, without me trying, led me to consultancy and coaching and training and then training coaches myself so I could pass that baton on some 12 years later which again has just tiptoed me into all these different entrepreneurial businesses and ideas and concepts that I'm involved in of which one you know beer is in that story as is dry. Am I correct in saying that you now go into brokerages and train them to create a kind of healthy uh, kind of healthy lifestyle for their staff. Yep, that's one of the things that I do. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm working with an incredible brokerage right now and I've worked with lots of really forward-thinking uh, teams and businesses that are starting to figure this out because it just wasn't a thing before, right? Had I tried to introduce this five years ago, no one gets it. They're like, what? what are you talking about? You know, we pay our guys and girls enough money, they can figure this stuff out for themselves. But then I would contrast it continually with my experience in football. And right now I'm working with some of these great athletes, they've got so much support around them now. You know, they've got they've got their uh, sports scientists, they've got their coaches, they've got their masseurs, they've got physios, they've got psychologists, they've got all of this incredible support. And why is that? Because the big business of sport, which it is big business, yeah. figured this out, and it always leads the way. Sport always leads the way in elite performance, and, and the business world then catches up. Big sport has realised our players or our staff actually when their well-being when their health physical and mental is optimal they're much more likely to perform better and if they perform better what does that mean to us as a big business we generate more income so i think they've it's led them down a path to take care of all these elements they could in theory have said well we play our footballers loads of money they can go and do their own strength and conditioning you know they can go and figure out their own psychology let you know we pay them enough money that's mm. the sort of approach that's been in the business world where a sport went no let's take care of everything 
And that's what I'm trying to bring in, that that mindset, that mentality to these elite. And, and I've started at the elite end because that's where I spent a lot of time, i.e. broking trading, because there's there's the income to support individuals. And there's certain individuals within those firms that generate significant revenue. And I would argue the big business of broking, the big business of trading is bigger than football because the brokers have much longer careers and they're capable of consistently generating extreme amounts of money. Therefore, why not treat them like athletes, you know, why not bring in mindset coaches like myself? I also go into the firm. I bring a guy called Christian Daly in, who's another ex-professional footballer, a captain of West Ham, captain of Scotland. He's a brilliant sports conditioning. He's, he's a genius at what he does. So he does the physical side of things. I do the mental side of things. We go into these firms. I train them in resilience and using their brain in a completely different way. Mm. They've never had any experience of before because it, they just never received any training. There's like zero training, zip, in most of these organizations. You know, you, you get given the job and it pays well enough and you get on with it and you learn on the job. Okay. For me, that's completely the wrong approach. And too many brokers end up broken mentally, physically, like the footballers often do. So I'm really passionate about it. So yeah, some really forward-thinking organizations wow. bring us in. We build gyms. We've built a gym in one of the offices where we were next to their broken floor so they can literally walk from the, the broken floor into the gym do some reps and if the phone rings they can probably still hear it from the gym that they're in so yeah we're trying to revolutionize yeah. the way that we think about performance and it's the right thing to do because positive psychology where i went and got my master's degree in tells us consistently the higher your well-being the higher your performance like what we haven't understood for so long is we yeah. think oh when people perform well then they'll be happy but the barrier to them performing well very often is the fact that they're not particularly happy just talking there about that you went back to um, study, you went back to do a master's and this leads into the the PFA business school. How are players, do they want to uh, kind of start learning? I suppose they're really, they're good learners anyway because they have to learn on the pitch every day from coaches and teammates. Absolutely. I think, well, there's some conventional thinking in the world of sport, isn't it? That you can only be involved in, be immersed in your particular sport. And anything outside of that is a distraction. And I think that's been the conventional cultural wisdom in sport for far too long. But mm. here's the problem with that. When we are just, a, and I use that title with our brokers, just a broker, just a professional footballer, just an athlete, the emotional roller coaster is 10 times more violent because in every mistimed tackle, every time that you get dropped, every time that you're injured, it feels like you as an individual are defined by that role. Therefore, you feel 10 times worse. The stress is compounded. Whereas when you realize you're bigger than just your chosen sport, which I think is really important, right? Many of these men and women will be brothers and sisters, parents, partners, whatever their setup is. Those roles are way bigger yeah. than their roles as an athlete or a broker. And it's reconnecting with some of that, I think, that's really powerful. And then when we start to do that, you realize there's room because there's a lot of time available when you're playing professional sport sure, in particular yeah. to study, to grow outside of your chosen sport. And I'll give you a real-world example of this. Uh, it's a great guy called Connor Chaplin. Oh, yeah. Who started Pompey training player, yeah. just about two years ago. Uh, Ex-Pompey player. Uh, yeah, he was now, a Pompey. Yeah. He's now Ipswich. That's right. And he started training with us. So I'm also involved in another uh, business called the Empower Sports Education Academy, where we take, again, footballers, predominantly professional athletes, and get them ready for their careers after their playing days, even though they're still playing. 
which I think is a really skillful thing to do. Connor came along amongst many other great athletes. That season, he decided with us through the exploratory tours that we took him through that he was going to go back and study psychology. Oh, wow. Interested in psychology, interested in lots of different things. Went back to start studying psychology. Now you might argue, well, he's going to be distracted because now he's studying psychology and he's thinking about his career, you know, whilst he's still playing. That year, Connor won the PFA Footballers of yeah, the Year. Smashing it, Ipswich, the, yeah. Um, division, division One. They got promoted mm-hmm. this year. They're top of the league. Look at Ipswich right now. Look, yeah, look, favourites to come into the Premiership. Amazing. That's two divisions yeah. in two years. Yet one of their star players, who's been the absolute star player, came to to, to us and now is studying. Yeah, amazing. Know? Yeah, like this is the point. It's that conventional wisdom that holds too many sports people back which we're trying to break down because they, they're hungry for yeah. it. And if you think about it, right, there's barely a sports person in the land that won't need a second career. 100%, yeah. Like they all will, right? Because like it's very rare. Okay, there's, there are some sports that you can do masters, i.e. like golfing and whatnot that might keep the income coming potentially. But by and large, most athletes will need a second mm-hmm. career. Even the premiership guys that earn an absolute fortune, they still end up bankrupt most of them that is what well, christian daly for service. for example will need a second career because he played he played a top level for years yeah. and years for west ham uh, scotland he played there for years and he still knows i need to keep going after my football career finishes totally and you can't what, what i'm saying like irrelevant of income let's just say you've got enough money to get you by and you've made some good investments which some do some don't you can't sit on your your arms mm-hmm doing nothing like like we we are meaning seeking creatures we need to show up and contribute you can't sit around playing xbox or even golf every do you know what i mean you just it's not going to light you up when you think you're 28 years old or 30 years old you might have another 70 years left on this planet so my point being it doesn't matter who you are or where you are you're going to need another career so the sooner you start thinking about this stuff, the better. But not in a or like a negative way. I'm trying to plan for this thing because I don't believe that I'm going to be successful. In a really positive way, this will make me more successful. It's another string to the bow, isn't you it? See some yeah. of the greatest athletes, they're so well-rounded. Exactly. And that's the big point. So what I've seen through the PFA Business School, and I've probably trained about 100 different footballers at this stage. Again, past and present. all Every single league from you know the real international heroes to you know division three and they're all hungry for it mm. right but but here's a big thing i feel quite sad for many of our athletes which is a really strange thing that's come over me in the last few years where most people would dream of being that person they see on the pitch or on the track i'm actually becoming a bit sad for so many of these athletes because they are lost when their career comes to an end they are lost mentally physically lost they don't really get any support everyone disappears you know that fan base is quick to forget agents potentially and they're just sort of left as this like once were a hero yeah the agents disappear right like lightning we see that a lot um and actually what i'm trying to do what we're trying to do is get them really excited about their life after sport in fact their life after sport could be 10 times more rewarding 10 times more meaningful and 10 times more economical yeah with a bit of skill as opposed to, oh, that's it, I give up. You know, what's the point? I'm never going to earn that kind of money again. My life's over. I'm never going to reach those highs. Yes, you can. You can just reach it in different ways, more meaningful ways. That's the big message, really, I'm trying to get across. Mm. And um, so obviously the uh, 
the work you've been doing with the PFE Business School, when did it, did you contact them? Did they contact you? How did that come around? A bit of a mixture because of the work I was doing for the Empower Sports Education Academy, we we're already doing something similar and the business school has only just started this year. Mm. So we were sort of ahead of the game, as it were. Yeah, Alejandro is a great guy. Um, so we were talking to them about what we were already doing because there wasn't a thing and they were very much, look, we're about to start this. You'd be perfect for it. Why don't you come in and, and be a part of, of the business school as well? So it's one of those nice organic things, but which has been a blessing for me again, because I get to now go into that environment, give back, share my story, get them excited about their learning, talk about growth mindset, all those great things and get them in that state of this is an exciting adventure. This is a learning adventure that, you know, could lead me into this place of, of meaning. Yeah, absolutely. And you talk a lot about, um, I, I read on LinkedIn that you said about network is your net worth. And that's something I've come to really realize is that um, you ha- you do have to get out there. You have to get out of this kind of safe zone, don't you? And maybe as footballers, you live in this bubble, any athletes as well, but especially footballers, you might live in this bubble uh, and getting out into your network to really create contacts, isn't it? Yeah, and that was something that frustrates me. So having had that unique experience of being a footballer, achieving a relative amount of success in the professional business world, and then stepping into entrepreneurship, I've had this nice broad brush at most look at most careers. And what I found in entrepreneurship that didn't exist in professional business and didn't really exist in sport was this networking. It's brilliant in entrepreneurship. You know, you can Hmm. book yourself on a mastermind. You can get in a, you have to pay for these things and rightly so, but you get in a room with these incredible entrepreneurs and you learn from these entrepreneurs that are doing the very thing that you want to do at a much higher level. And it just accelerates your learning. I don't see that in business and I certainly don't see it in sport. And for me, that was a frustration because most of these athletes, especially in the football arena, are very working class lads and lasses, right? Guys and girls. What happens is they've been playing life at this elite level, surrounded by elite people at what they do. Let's just say they get injured or their career comes to an end, right? And it's over very quickly, very often through injury or very quickly through retirement. And of course, their network starts to disappear around their eyes. And then what happens to most of those guys Mm -hmm. and girls? I think they revert to their old network and it might be that their old original network very much like mine i grew up in dagnum their old original network might not be playing life at the same level they want to play at you know and jim Rohn talks about this we become the average of the five people we spend most time with and you don't know what you don't know so most of these guys and girls i've got no idea at the opportunity that is waiting for them no idea because they don't know what they don't know and they might not organically have the network you heard me in my story i was lucky that my brother had done all the hard work and got himself into this arena and excelled. And then because of that, brought me into that network. That was lucky for me. So my big belief is that athletes, footballers should actually stick together. There's an incredible network and your network is your net worth of talented individuals, former past footballers, athletes that have gone on to achieve incredible things in the world of business, incredible things in the world of entrepreneurship. Why are we not sharing that? Why are we not getting in a room with people Mm. that are coming towards their retirement age or they have to retire? Get in a room with people that you admire and you trust because 
they've been where in your shoes that are achieving things that you might never have even known was possible, such as stepping back into the traditional business world of broking or trading, reinsurance, sales, whatever that looks like, or starting entrepreneurial ideas, or starting charity, starting funds if you're maybe at that top level and you know you've got disposable income and you don't need to work essentially. Why are we not getting these in big like mastermind groups that they can learn from? And that was something that just doesn't really exist in football. So we are working on that. Right now, it's a big thing that we're working on to try and create this network because your network is, is your net yeah. worth, effectively. And do you think it's specifically a, a football problem? Do you think other sports are better at it than football? I don't think so. Not that I've seen. I, I might be wrong. No. But I, I have not seen, you know, from rugby, cricket, it feels like it's the same problem for them all, i.e. these guys and girls go through the system then they bail out at some point, and that could be 18 or that could be at, you know, 38 and then they're gone. And then it's like, where's everyone else? I don't know. We're just sort of scattered around, just doing, trying to sort of get by as best we can, as opposed to let's put a proper system in place. Let's bring them through this transitional system, almost to get really excited about their future career. Let's look at all the things you could do. Let's bring in some people that you know and admire that have already achieved success in the area. How did they do it? How, what can you learn yeah. from them? You know, for me, that's, that's just like basic, but really important. The athlete has an ability because of their profile to, to get their foot in the door that other people don't, do they? So they really, it's such a great opportunity for them to take advantage of that networking. They just have to have that confidence. And that's what it is. It's mindset, you know, and it's hard because you think, let's just say you've been an athlete at the top of your game and then you've got to start again effectively you know, you've got to knock on the door mm. of a business or an entrepreneur and say, hi, like my name's so-and-so and they might know exactly who you are and you're almost saying, I've got to start again. I've got to start at the bottom. You can imagine the mm. mindset around that. People then talk themselves out of it because they don't want to look silly. They don't want to look small. They've been used to this certain type of stature. So a lot of don't the work the rejection. Do, yeah, exactly, is actually getting them in the frame of mind that everything is learning. There's no such thing as failure. So we talk about growth mindset a lot. I touched on that earlier, right? Every master was once a disaster. You've achieved mastery in one area of your life. Now you've got lots of time to achieve mastery in other areas of your life, but you might need to start towards the bottom to build your way up. But it's the same set of skills, but you can't get there if you don't start. You can't get there if you hide and you run away and you want to stay small in your comfort bubble, which might be your particularly chosen sport, rather than having the courage to get outside of it and learn through failure and setbacks, just like you did with football or just like you did in your athletic career. That's the secret to it. So this is part of the, the, the problem. That work needs to be done as well, right? We need to get right into the sort of the, the psyche and the mind of our athletes and train them mentally to step into these new arenas because without that training, I think too many of them are fearful of looking silly or failing. So they stay small, they stay stuck. And then they stay stuck in that bubble that doesn't serve them anymore. That the work is not there. And then they perform many of these stats that we see. When these, when the footballers do this course, you know, the girls and boys will pass this information down to former teammates and go, this was great. I learned so much. You should, you know, they want to, they're going to pass this um, opportunity down to friends and say, no, don't look at it as a, as a football's finishing. Look at it as this is a brand new start. Absolutely. And I think having been in that football bubble, of course, 
it's difficult, right? Because you'll want to play for England and you'll want to play in the Premiership and you can't see past football. You're so in that bubble. So it's hard to sort of lift your head up a little bit and think, actually, at some point, this is going to end. No one's really thinking about that that often until it's too late or until it's been taken away from them. So I think a lot of work needs to be done. And, and that's my point around changing the culture, really, of this is the one thing that you're going to do for the rest of your life. No, it isn't. You're going to do it for a very short period of time. Go and enjoy every blooming second of it. And also be skillful enough to realise that actually at the end of this, you've just set the most unbelievable platform up for yourself in terms of your stature, in terms of your credibility, in terms of your discipline, your mindset. Let's leverage that into this this next career, whatever that looks like for you. Let's get prepared way in advance. I mean, some of the guys we coach and train are like early 20s. That's, that's the sort of level that I think we should be doing this at. Yeah. I'm so happy for Connor if that works out because I'm a Pompey fan myself and I remember him making his debut. So I'm really delighted that he's uh, doing so well at Ipswich, but also he's clearly intelligent enough to see I'm going to do something after as well that's going to, and maybe it won't be down the lines of psychology, but it was just the fact that he's taken uh, some kind of course, he'll know. I can do it again in a different field or I can get involved in a different sector. Absolutely. And I also do it with a guy called Mark Kelly, who you might know from Pompey. He is the, he's the owner of uh, yeah, Empower Sports, the education part of it, which is, which is really cool. You play for he's Ireland. Pompey legend. Yeah, whose career was ended age 17. He was tipped to be the next George Best. I mean, massive career. Tim Breaker basically chopped him in half on the AstroTurf and that was the end of his end of his like career which was had so much potential so he's been passionate about this area for a long while hence um me and him played together at one point so yeah it, we were great friends oh, in Ireland okay I got involved in that yeah yeah which was which was lovely it's quite a new venture by the PFA what's been the feedback so far I think the feedback's been it should have been in football 20 years ago is the feedback. Maheta has come in now as the new CEO of the PFA and he's shaking things up and rightly so. You know, I think there's been a lot of criticism from within football that it felt like not enough was being done. And it really feels like these things are starting to happen now. And I think the business school is a brilliant sign of that. And you see the athletes in there that they're loving it, you know, and, and what's important for them, again, they can step into this environment and be surrounded by people they know, like, and trust you know, because it is a, still a bit of a football bubble, which I think eases them into it rather than having to go to the local night school or university whilst they're playing. And it just makes it a bit more awkward and a bit more messy. Um, so for these guys, this sort of safe environment, safe arena to learn and, and, and like be vulnerable to learn, I think it's an incredible thing. Uh, it's only going to grow from strength, strength to strength. It's a brilliant, mm. brilliant initiative. So I just want to talk a, a bit about the, um, after your brokerage, uh, career or during that you decided you wanted to uh, change your lifestyle and this went on to one year no beer and the dry up and you're, you're a alcohol free advocate can you just tell us a little bit about how that came around yeah it was part of that epiphany moment where you know I, I quit the job to set up the new brokerage and in that space traveled the world trained uh, with some of the great thinkers of well-being None of them mentioned alcohol, by the way. <laughs> they mentioned oh. everything else. 
So I experimented with fitness and meditation and nutrition, and none of these things would stick because I was consistently mm. inconsistent because of alcohol. You know, whether that was a couple of drinks a week, a few more at the weekend, you know, I defined myself as a middle lane drinker. Uh, was I drinking too much? Absolutely. But who isn't, you know, in those environments? Um, so actually the last thing I decided to look at was alcohol. But when I removed it, it was just rocket fuel. It, it was like I'd had kryptonite in my backpack for the last 20 years and I'd just taken it out. It was just this this like rush of euphoria, time, energy, consistency. And then that consistency fed back into what I just learned around nutrition and movement and meditation. So I just started to optimize everything. Lost three stones, 42 pounds in weight. Resting heart rate went from 68 to 42. Looked like a different person, felt like a different person. Relationships were better than ever. People said to me, my broken career would probably be finished if I didn't go out and drink and entertain. But I didn't care. I, I just did not care what they thought. And I also realized that my broken business, I believed, would fail unless I was on point all the time. As a new business and the head of that new business, I couldn't take two or three days off due to underperformance, due to the sort of sluggishness and tiredness and couldn't quite be arsedness that was alcohol. So I removed it in the, in, in the face of an industry that thought this is never going to work. And actually, it was the best thing that ever happened to me. Best thing that ever happened to me personally, professionally, that business, we grew it seven times bigger in half the time up against the titans of the broken world. We were unheard of. Within two or three years, we were neck and neck number one in the space, which like, it, it, I'm something I'm super proud of. And I know for me, that is all down to, to one thing as the Kickstarter to all of that was removing alcohol. Had I still mm. been drinking, I, I don't reckon that business even exists, let alone still was a very successful business right now. I stepped down from it in 2019 but that led me to this beautiful realization that there's probably millions millions and millions of people that were like me middle lane drinkers that actually they weren't in that problematic stage they weren't like completely aware of how alcohol was affecting them but it was affecting them their performance mm. maybe they were inconsistent all the things i spoke about i had anxiety that was really starting to show up in my life for me that was 100 down to alcohol as soon as i removed alcohol that went how many people are suffering in, in these kinds of ways that are middle lane drinkers? Maybe I could inspire one or two. So I wrote a little ebook uh, based on a rhyme that I'd created, which was one year no beer. And the reason I created that rhyme, because I basically had to pretend that I was on this challenge that I made up in the early days of stopping drinking to get clients off my back a little bit and mates off my back just to go, look, I'm doing this thing. It's like one okay, year no beer. Right, yeah. Just leave me alone for a while. Just let me do it. Because otherwise they were just on me. But, that, you know? but that's the pressure, isn't it? Absolutely. Massive pressure. It is the only drug in the world. When you try and stop it, you get absolutely slaughtered by many people, um, which is ridiculous when you think about it. But it is changing. You know, I've been at this for 10 years. So I've seen it when no one really understood it 10 years ago to really in the last three years, it's really starting to change with the advent of alcohol-free alternatives. But that little book got picked up by Pam McMillan. Uh, one of the world's biggest publishers to write a proper book, one of those real books, which we did the 28 day alcohol free challenge that kickstarted the one, you know, beer movement. Okay. And then that led me, I stepped down from there in 2019 because I wanted to explore lots of other angles and opportunities, hence all the work I do in the brokerages now, but also to start another movement called dry D R Y Y. It's got an extra Y it's, it's an app and online, offline alcohol free community training platform. I absolutely love it. It's full of incredible people. And the collectively between those two initiatives, we've inspired hundreds of thousands, if not quite comfortably into the millions now 
to transform their relationship with alcohol and something I'll be forever grateful for and proud of to be a part of that. And I'm still immersed in that world right now as a mentor, as an investor, as a trainer, as a coach, because I'm trying to really help the, the next wave of great alcohol-free initiatives and businesses come through to help transform this landscape. And on that note, I'm also in the process of making a documentary, which is really exciting. So that's going to be a big project for 2024. Oh, great. With a plan to, to launch that in uh, Jan 2025. And that's going to all be about, like a game changes, if anyone's watched that documentary wow. on uh, nutrition, like a game changes for alcohol-free is the, Absolutely, is the plan. Yeah. So it might be on the big screen. Is Rich Roll in it? He will be, yes. Oh, great. Lovely. Yeah, which is cool. Oh, that's amazing, Andy. I mean, that's, that's really exciting. Yeah. So it's not finger wagging, you should do this, telling people off. It's like, I did this and I've got all these unbelievable results. And now I've seen hundreds of thousands of people, if not millions, do the exact same thing and get the exact same kind of results. There's got to be something in that. You know, why not just take a break and experience it for yourself with the right mindset, i.e. you're not giving something up, you're gaining all these advantages. And I think in doing so, it just continually inspires people, which is just, uh, I think it's a wonderful thing. I think humans, uh, meaning and purpose lives inside giving back, contributing service of others. So for me, what entrepreneurship did then, um, as well alongside my, my broken firm was just give me this, this lovely meaning and purpose in my life, which it does, you know, I'll, I'll be forever grateful to my alcohol free adventure. And then all the wonderful adventures that have spun out the back of that. And it continues, like I say, I'm going back out to LA, in March, we're starting to record uh, the documentary all through 2024. Like all these lovely things are happening, right? I'm just going along for the ride and enjoying life and putting it out into the world with no big plans, no intention of doing anything with it. Same when I trained as an executive coach. I didn't plan on becoming this sort of super duper coach that goes into all these organizations and the PFA and all those things. It just sort of, I just did it because I was interested. And, and now, you know, here I am. And, you know, I walked away from Broking, which is pretty cool to be able to do. Not many people are in the position to walk away from it. I walked away from it in around 2019. And now I, I run my own businesses. I can do what I do from anywhere in the world. And yeah, I feel very grateful for this adventure. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. If you did, please subscribe to the podcast and you'll be notified when new episodes come out.